everyone knows about the Chinese Revolution, but when, they, when you ask about the Chinese Revolution, they think about 1949. They know, they know about Mao, uh, they know about you know, the, uh, you know, sort of the, the struggle you know, that happened. We're not going to talk about 1949 in, you know, immediately today. We're going to talk about the second Chinese Revolution. The first Chinese Revolution was in 1911. I'm not going to go into that, but it's the beginning of the bourgeois revolution. The second revolution was really between uh, 19, 1925 and, 19, and 1927. That's going to be what we're going to be talking about. In some ways, I mean, it wasn't planned exactly like this, but it does flow on a little bit from the, some of the discussion in the, in the previous session about what the alternatives and the prospects of actually struggling for socialism you know, in China. Genuine socialism, as we said, perhaps we need to say that at the beginning. The 1949 revolution was a revolution, but it was a nationalist revolution and introduced state capitalism into, into China, you know, not, uh, you know, not, not, you know, not genuine socialism. What we're going to talk about today is actually the prospect between 1925 and 1927 for a, a working class revolution. Uh, in, in China, and it was actually the defeat of that working class revolution which laid the basis for Mao building in the countryside for the, for the uh, Communist Party to be established much more amongst the peasantry and for that to be the basis of the nationalist revolution that took place in, in, um, in, in 1949. The, the tragedy of, of China, tw you know, 25 to 27, is really tied up with the tragedy of the Russian, the Russian Revolution. Um, now I'm not going to go. I'm, I was to say that, but I probably will have to go into bits of you know the Russian the Russian Revolution to get a to get a handle on it. But this is what this is uh, this is what Trotsky wrote um, about the uh, you know about the tragedy. He said, but such is the bitter irony of history. The experience of the Russian Revolution not only did not help the Chinese proletariat, but on the con contrary, it became its reactionary distorted form, one of the chief obstacles in its path. Um, and that partly that's because. The actual, the Chinese Communist Party, and I'll come to that in a little bit, was, you know, very, 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 very young, you know, and formed in 1920, 1920, 1921, very young. The Russian Revolution had a, because 1917 and, and Russia had a, you know, a preeminence in terms of, you know, the struggle for But the kind of advice that the Chinese Communist Party, the very, very young Chinese Communist Party got, from, from, the, from the Russians, and we're talking about from about 1922 on actually, that it, you can see actually the degeneration inside Russia that you know, starts at quite an early time, was rubbish. Right? That's, the, that's, that's the truth, it was rubbish. Um, and, and I mean Trotsky, who also made you know, a series of mistakes which I'll come to, but the tragedy was that, not to, not to, that the Russian Communist Party was not steeled uh, and understood its own lessons, you know, from you know the Russian Revolution. It didn't understand, you know, sort of the, you know, certainly what you know what Trotsky had 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 argued in the course of the Rus Russian Revolution. It hadn't really understood Leninism in that respect. That it could be so flippant about the uh, about the about the kind of advice, you know, that it gave to the uh, to the to the young Chinese Communist Party. And one of the things that stands out about that um, is that. Um, it was, you know, in, in many of the decisions inside the, uh, the, the Central Committee of the, of the uh, Russian Communist Party, uh, Trotsky over and over again was the one vote against uh, the, the policies that were actually being implemented or that the, the Communist Party was actually, the Russian Communist Party was arguing with the Chinese, Chinese Communist Party to implement. Now, I think partly to understand what's, what's happened, you need to understand that they, there's a, a rapid industrialisation actually takes place you know, in, you know, in China. So the, then the, the, the industrialisation probably starts in the uh, you know, 19, you know, 19, 1910s, the early, early part of the, 
um, the 20th century. Um, and so you've got a very, very new you know, working class actually you know, sort of developing. Um, and that, that makes the, makes the uh, prospects for actually building the Communist Party um, you know, very, very fertile. Um, so to give a little bit of an idea, and I'll come back to that, but the, Chi so the Chinese Communist Party, you know, 20 and 20, starts off in 1920, 1921 with a, hand, with, you know, with a handful of people. By 1923, it's still, it's still only got 423 members. By, not, by, by November, between November 1925 and March 1926, it actually trebles from about 10,000 to 30,000, right, 1926. By 1927, we're talking about 100,000 members who are in the, in the Communist Party, not just in the Communist Party, but actually leading trade unions that they've helped built about oh, 3, million, 3 million workers and peasant organisations around, around 15 million. So I think partly I want to tell that story because I think it's a, it's a, a very, very inspiring story, an aspect about the prospects of actually building you know, so genuine socialist uh, you know, organisation inside, inside China based on based on, re on revolutionary politics. Now the problem coming from the, uh, from, you know, from the Russia side of things is that people would have heard about the, you know, the Kuomintang, but there was an argument that uh, China was a semi-feudal country. And because it was a semi-feudal country, the only prospects for it uh, would be a, a bourgeois revolution. You know, uh, uh, and that, that was all that was possible, that the KMT, without going into all the details about the, you know, the Kuomintang, the Kuomintang come to represent the possibilities of that nationalist revolution and the Communist Party and the instruction from uh, the, uh, from the uh, Communist International uh, from the beginning was that the Communist Party members should be in the KMT. Now that's kind of mistake number one. Um, but uh, you know, the, the, the question is not whether you're in or out of the Communist Party the, uh, that, in that regard, the question is whether you can you know, act, act independently. But that's just to give, the, um, to give a bit of the impression uh, of the kind of mistakes that were, you know, that were made. It wasn't just that, um, although that continued, because I, the thing is that the, the, Chinese, um, the Chinese Communist Party itself, although very young, um, actually rejected this advice probably on two, three, four or five occasions. Um, so this was a mistake. The Communist Party need to be independent, need to have a separate, separate uh, existence, uh, need to be able to fight, in, fight independently, that it was fighting for a socialist revolution, not a bourgeois revolution. Uh, what are we doing? You know, why are you telling us to go into you know, the KMT? The Communist International was actually quite insistent that that's what it should do, attempt to actually attempted to um, not actually formally discipline, but certainly to you know, major amount of pressure on them to actually you know, to, you know, to do that. Um, by 1926, it wasn't just that uh, the Communist Party was in the KMT. Actually, in 1926, the Communist International allows the, the KMT to, to join the, the Communist International. Um, now, those kinds of mistakes, I mean, they're not sitting here now, and I can see a few nods around the room. A lot of people can already think, what the hell? You know, what, is, what the hell's going on? Um, but. It, you know, the, 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 the clue to understanding that is also to understand what's happening inside you know, the Russian Revolution, the, de the degeneration you know, of, the, of the revolution um, it, itself. Um, I won't go into it right now, but a, <laughs> I'll come back maybe at the, at the end with, you know, with uh, where, where Trotsky finds himself in terms of an internal argument inside, inside the Russian, Russian Communist Party. But with people who are familiar about Russia, actually the, the terms that are used are also you know, quite familiar. Right? The arguments that you know, Russia was a semi-feudal country, uh, there could only be a you know, struggle for a bourgeois revolution, uh, that was all that was possible, and the significance of Trotsky's arguments 
from 1905 on that the possibilities, uh, because of a newly developing, you know, the, um, the uh, working class inside Russia, the significance of the working class inside Russia, uh, the prospects of not a revolution not being limited, you know, to a to a nationalist revolution, to a bourgeois democratic revolution, but to a socialist revolution, were actually quite it were um, you know, necessary to, you know, to, for the for the revolution to actually be you know, to be carried through. And uh, Lenin's arguments that. Uh, that there could only be a you know a democratic dictatorship. Um, initially, thinking that's thinking in the same kind of way. It's overwhelmingly peasant country, working classes is small. Um, by April um, in you know in 1917, as the revolution you know un unravels, if you like, or unfolds, um, it's Lenin's arguments in April 1917 which kind of rearms you know the Bolshevik Party and argue, he argues quite strenuously that the idea that. This could be limited, and someone actually said it in the earlier session. I think that somehow it could be limited to a bourgeois revolution. We're going to continue to, pros you know, to, um, uh, to, um, you know, um, what I'm looking for, but continue in the war, continue the, in the war, uh, rather than, you know, rather than the ending, ending the war. Lenin comes back in April uh, in 1917 to actually, you know, to counter that. Um, and, and that's you know like a crucial part of the possibilities of the you know the Bolshevik Party actually leading a socialist revolution in uh, in October in you know in uh, in, in, in 1917. So, but again, just to go back to sorry to go back to go back to China. I think so. We've got the uh, the reason. One of the reasons that the Communist Party was able to grow and to be able to grow so quickly uh, was because of the organisation that was taking place in the you know in the working class itself. So even though they they did not like the idea, they well, they chafed against the idea of actually being in the you know the Kuomintang. Nonetheless, they they availed themselves of the possibilities of working inside the the, the Kuomintang. So they committed themselves to being you know organising the workers, organising the peasants, uh, and played a particular role in you know, in developing that. And the Kuomintang grew grew much larger than the Communist Party, but the Communist Party was able to grow you know, quite dramatically in that, uh, in, that, in that process. And there were quite a few, I've lost me a little bit of paper here, yeah. I mean one of the, one of the, uh, one of the first things, uh, as, the, as the strikes broke out and as the working class became more, you know, more organised, um, you actually saw the beginnings of major strikes um, against, against imperialism and against capitalism. Well, okay. Um, that was uh, that was to, to distinguish the uh, you know the struggle there. So the first the first period of that is uh, between uh, July uh, July August you know you know 19, uh, 19, 1925. Um, most of the history books talk about Quan Canton. It's now Guangzhou, very close to uh, you know Hong Kong. Um, but without again without going into all the you know all the all the details, but there um, it it, uh, it it started when uh, a, um, a, a cotton mill and um, that one of the one of the workers at the cotton mill was actually shot uh, by a, a Japanese uh, foreman. The Communist Party uh, calls uh, for uh, protest strikes uh, to break uh, to, to you know to respond to that, and the, the consequences are you know are enormous. You know the, by by July, you're talking about uh, something like 314 you know, separate strikes, 400,000 workers, uh, yeah, 400,000 workers on workers on strike, and the strike wave actually beginning, you know, beginning to spread. 
not just that, in Quangzhou itself, um, they, the, you, you see the beginnings of workers' power inside you know, Quangzhou. Because it's not just that the strike happens, but an actual strike committee, very much like a Soviet, um, is actually established inside Quangzhou. Uh, so you had, you know, there was a strike committee, um, but it was organised on the basis of there being one rep for every 50 workers. There was a, there was that, that was the Soviet, if you like, um, and. They built hospitals, they built schools, they had an armed militia which, to, which was to patrol the border uh, to stop British goods actually getting into Hong, you know, into, um, into Hong Kong. So you can see even at that, even at that stage, and we're talking about the Communist Party which is actually quite small you know, in 1925, but that's the circumstances in which, in which they, um, the uh, enormous struggle of the, you know, the uh, Chinese workers, the Communist Party grows dramatically out of that. And they grow not just in Guangzhou, but the, uh, the kudos of what's happened in Guangzhou actually sees the Communist Party grow in city, uh, in city after city around, um, you know, around, around China. Now the thing, uh, and that, that uh, strike actually lasts for almost 15 months. So that process of you know, workers' control inside Guangzhou goes on for you know, 15 months. But what, what the, throughout that whole period, the Communist Party is actually in the, in the Kuomintang. The Kuomintang don't like imperialism. They want a nationalist revolution, but they're nationalists, not socialists. Um, and they, they, the, you know, Chiang Kai-shek ends up um, with uh, organising a coup um, and uh, drowns the, uh, the, the, you know, the Canton Soviet Kuangzhou in, you know, in blood. Tens of thousands of uh, you know, communists and others actually are, are killed by uh, you know, Chiang, Kai, Chiang Kai-shek. Um, and that, that's, the, that's the beginnings, the beginnings of uh, seeing the, what, was the, what was happening with the, you know, with the KMT uh, and the prospects of the, or you know, seeing the, what was going to be the outcome of the kind of collaboration, the argument that somehow the Communist Party should be you know, inside, you know, inside the KMT. Um, so, uh, but, but as I said before, you know, this, it's that experience with the Communist Party is able to grow and grow you know, quite dramatically. But even even after the coup, even after the bloodbath in Guangzhou, the uh, Communist International still argues with the Communist Party about being inside, staying inside the KMT, and collaborating you know, with, the, you know, with the KMT. The Communist Party in China objects to that, but the uh, Communist International is quite insistent that you need to, you need to remain in, in that. And now, again, I'm not going to go through all the details, but you, the, the uh, KMT after crushing the, you know, the workers' commune in, in uh, Guangzhou, actually begins a northern ex expedition uh, in, the, in the circumstances in which you know, workers and peasants struggle actually you know, kind of expanding, and that's relatively successful. Um, uh, well, not relatively, it's quite, it's quite successful. Um, but then the KMT gets the, uh, to the borders of uh, you know, Shanghai um, in... Um, I've forgotten the date now. I can't remember if it was 26. I think it gets to the border of Shanghai in, in 27. Now... The KMT, sorry, the um, Communist Party is organised in Shanghai, you know, as well. Can see what's happening, you know, nationally. The spread of the KMT, the relative success, etc., etc. In Shanghai, we had a similar thing that happens that happened in Guangzhou. Actually, there's a workers rise up, dramatic strike um, inside inside Guangzhou. Um, the uh, you know takeover effectively of the whole you know the whole you know city. Uh, except for the uh, foreign, you know, foreign concessions, um, uh, because they look, and the argument is that the KMT is going to come to liberate, but actually that's not what happens. 
uh, the KMT comes to the comes to the border of Shanghai, and then within a couple of weeks, actually um, launches a you know a bloody massacre in inside uh, in, in you know inside Shanghai. And again, we see you know tens of thousands of people actually you know executed, um, you know people you know people killed. Um, there's actually a white terror that the, the KMT actually you know prosecutes for you know two or three years actually after you know putting down the uh, the struggle in um, putting down the struggle in Shanghai in struggle in Shanghai now the reason I've gone over this is because hopefully you get a little bit of a feel for the possibilities of actually a genuine workers revolution uh, that we had you know a very huge base of workers the three million three and a half million workers actually by the time of 1927 are organized in you know in trade unions as I said before you had you know peasant organizations of around you know kind of 15 15 million but what has happened in that process is the things that were learned in the Russian Revolution the things that were established in the first years of the you know the communist communist international have been have been forgotten right but the, yet the at the, sec the second congress of the communist international you know for example um, the, uh, over the national and uh, colonial question, uh, the, there was a very, very explicit part of the, the, the theses that were carried uh, on that day. Um, so it says um, uh, that while there needs to be a determined struggle against, sorry, sorry, there is a need for a determined struggle against attempts to give communist colour, colour, communist colouring to bourgeois democratic liberation trends in the backward countries. The communist international should support bourgeois democratic national revolutions in colonial and backward countries only on condition in these countries that the elements of future proletarian parties, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The Communist Party, uh, Communist International rather, must enter into temporary alliance with bourgeois democracy in the colonial and backward countries, but should not merge with it and should, under all circumstances, uphold the independence of the proletarian movement, even, even if it's in its most embryonic form. Now that was set in, you know, in concrete, if you like, you know, in, in 1920. But by 1922, that's not the advice that's coming from the Russian Communist Party or from, you know, the uh, or from the communist, the communist International. Now, Trotsky, Trotsky writes uh, Lessons of October. I know some people are familiar with that, but he writes Lessons of October in, 19, in 1924. By 1924, we still haven't got Stalin has not got you know total control of either of the Russian Communist Party or of the you know the Communist International. But he writes Lessons of October because already the fight inside the Russian Communist Party is becoming uh, well is you know is you know is developing, and uh, it's already obvious which way you know that, that Stalin is actually you know trying to um, uh, retreat um, and you know from you know from the things that there were foundation elements of the uh, of the you know of, you know of the revolution. Um, Trotsky's already arguing. Inside the uh, in, you know inside the Russian Communist Party about about China, but the between 1922 and 1927 you don't see very much from uh, from from uh, from Trotsky about China. Uh, that's what I said earlier. That's that's partly because uh, not partly because I think it's probably entirely because Trotsky is actually tied up in the internal the internal arguments. Of the you know the Russian Communist Party, he's in a bit of a I don't want to say an unholy alliance, but I will for want of a better word at the moment, uh, in the holy, holy alliance with uh, Zinoviev and Radek um, against against Stalin, and for that reason, like Radek is on the wrong side of the he, he's he's on the wrong side of the arguments about the Chinese Communist Party and the KMT, but in order to try and hold a block together in the fight inside Russia. Actually, he's pretty quiet about what happens in, you know, in China. Even though, as I said before, when he had the opportunity, he argued, you know, voted 
you know, against the uh, you know, against the uh, the policies that were in, in being implemented you know, by you know, by the Comintern. Um, but in um, I just want to find one other bit. Yeah. But by, not, by 1927, it was already becoming obvious, you know, that the that that the what had happened in China wasn't just a horrible mistake, you know. But it was it was just the the, the the horror of what's actually taken taken place inside China becomes more apparent. I mean, the various attempts for you know Stalin to prevent information you know getting out, etc. And there's some excuse perhaps for not understanding the scale of what had happened at different you know different times. But by 1927, it's pretty you know it's pretty obvious. And, uh, and uh, Trotsky writes to you know, Radek and says, our mistake was in pedagogically warding down, softening and blunting our position on the basic question, it has yielded nothing but minuses for us, vagueness of position, defensive protestation, lagging behind events. We are putting an end to this error by openly calling for immediate withdrawal from the, from the Kuomintang. Um, and um, by a couple, of, a couple of months later, uh, we must openly announce a break of the Communist Party with the Kuomintang, openly declare that the Kuomintang is an instrument of bourgeois reaction and expel it in disgrace from the ranks of the, from the, ranks of the Kuomintang. But even as, Trotsky, even as Trotsky is making those statements and actually breaking with the, the, the unholy alliance inside the Russian Communist Party, actually the circumstances in Russia have moved a long, long way and the, and the, you know, the Stalinist bureaucracy is moving you know, harder and harder against, uh, you know, Trotsky and will sort, you know, shortly be expulsion of the left opposition and expulsion of, you know, of, uh, you know, of Trotsky. Um, now, I don't need to go into, I don't need to go into all that, I don't think. Um, but what I, what I really think we want to get across is that, is um, the prospects, the possibilities for a different kind of revolution, you know, in China, right? I mean, we talk about now um, that the working class is not three million. Um, I don't know what the figure what the figure is anymore, but you've got cities now that are 15 million, you know, 20 million, you know, massive cities. The working class is much, 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 much more, much, much more developed. But you can look at at the 1920s and see the prospects of how a communist party, how a revolutionary organisation could actually grow to go from essentially nothing, a little propaganda circle, you know, 1920, 1921, to a party of 100,000. Now, it's not just the objective circumstances. You know, the fact is that you don't get from that, you know, from you know, a tiny propaganda group to 100,000 uh, just by sitting on your hands. You know, they were active. They were building unions, building the peasant, or, you know, peasant, peasant organisations. You know, actively, <clears throat> actively recruiting. But what was what was missing, though, in spite of I said before, they, in, in some respects, the politics that they got out of organising in 1920 and 21 were much better than they were getting from the you know from the Russian Communist Party in you know in, in 22. But they didn't have the capacity uh, to actually argue that down, to have an ind you know an, 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 an independent line, to insist on an independent line, and the uh, in the uh, the possibilities of actually building that socialist revolution. You know, in uh, you know, 25, you know, to 27. The tragedy for Trotsky is that the kind of politics, and I think this is kind of a bit instructive, actually, is that 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 that, that the very people who carried out the revolution in you know, 1917, actually, except for Trotsky, all of them um, were actually went went along with the effectively liquidating the uh, the Communist Party into the uh, into the Kuomintang and then uh, admitting and supporting. The um, the Kuomintang uh, to the uh, to the to, you know to the international. Um, so I, I think the the pro I think the, the lesson uh, if if the lesson of the Russian Revolution you know was that 
permanent revolution was demonstrated in its positive sense. Uh, the Chinese revolution, you know, coming out such a short time after, demonstrated permanent re revolution in its negative sense. The fact that the arguments about permanent revolution, the prospects for even in a country semi-feudal with a, a small, relatively small working class could still you know, carry, out a so <coughs> carry out a socialist revolution, could lead the task of the, na of the, of the national revolution in that, kind, you know, in that kind of context. So if it was possible in 1925 and 1927, it's certainly possible in you know, 2000, you know, 2020, 2023, when the objective circumstances, like in China, you know, are so much, uh, are so much um, you know, more, you know, more developed. And I think in that regard, it was said earlier in the other session, we are seeing a situation in, um, and, have, and have seen, there have been massive struggles you know, against the Chinese regime you know, historically. We can talk about you know, Tiananmen, you know, Tiananmen Square as perhaps you know, the most significant that we can remember over the last little, last little while. Uh, but the, the break that we saw with the, uh, you know, the, COVID, you know, the COVID protests in, you know, in particular, uh, the other things that have, you know, the, the, um, the retirees, the people who've lost houses over that, you know, with, the, uh, with the, the real estate crash. There's a whole lot of things, I think, which actually indicate, but nothing quite as particular as the, 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 you know, the recent protests um, and, and student protests over the, over the COVID lockdowns that indicate some break, you know, inside, you know, inside China, uh, with the, you know, with the regime, with the ideology that's been has been hegemonic, uh, with, uh, you know, with Mao since, uh, you know, since 19, 1949. There is another tradition uh, in, you know, inside China. Uh, there's, a, I think, the it holds out the prospects, and, and I think that's the point we need to take for organising now. The necessity, even if you're small, to have clear politics, to understand what you're fighting for, to understand what the basis of socialism really is, is absolutely critical. Critical in 1925, 1927, critical in 2023.